Welcome back to the fourth edition of the Science of the Southland podcast, your source for all things Georgia Tech, presented by From the Rumble Seat. My name is Cade Lawson, and I'll be your host this afternoon, filling in for the vaunted host, Akshay Iswaran, who very, very tragically ruptured his Achilles playing double dutch in the schoolyard. He will be back hopefully next week, possibly further than next week as he heals up. But for now, I'm joined by four very, very strong hosts in their own right. That's going to be Ethan Kreger, Jake Grant, and making his Signs of the Southland debut, Kiefer Milligan. How's everyone doing today? Good. Thanks, Cade. How about you? I'm doing well. I can't complain, especially after a 41-0 Georgia Tech win over powerhouse Alcorn State over the weekend. Hey, they were SWAC division champions last year. Do not disparage the name. But... Not at all. Not at all. So we've got a lot planned for this episode today, starting with some non-rev updates from Jake and Ethan, and then continuing on with some recap of the Alcorn State game. And then from there, we might take some Twitter questions if we've got a few minutes left over. So we don't want to waste any time. So we'll get started with a non-rev sports update. What happened this week, guys? Hi there, guys. Uh, Ethan and I uh, were at the Hyatt Regency Tournament, not to be confused with Invitational, this weekend. This weekend, Tech squared off against Alabama State, uh, Wofford, South Alabama, and Tulane. Uh, we were live at the Alabama State game on Thursday at noon, which was a sweep. But I'm not sure how you're thinking about this, Ethan, but it didn't look like as convincing of a sweep as we saw last weekend from the girls. No, Alabama State was by far the worst team I've seen them take on so far this year. So the fact they won three sets to none doesn't say a whole lot about their level or Alabama State's level. Yeah, Tech, uh, Tech was slow out of the gate against Alabama State. I don't believe either of us were at the Wofford game because it was Thursday at 7 p.m. But in the South Alabama game, uh, I was at that game. They were, again, slow out of the gate and, in fact, went to five sets against a one-win team, which isn't excellent. Their attacking was – and I have it pulled up in front of me. Uh, was, Dowd was – not, didn't have her most efficient game. Yeah, that was what I was just about to mention. Her attack percentage was just .163. And it didn't help Oof. that Mariana Brambilla was only a .278 herself, which was also the team average, by the way. So not not too great uh, from Tech and having two players in the negative, which means more errors than kills. You're not as familiar with the terminology. But um, having two players in the negative against a one-win Alabama, uh, South Alabama team isn't really tremendous and it showed in the uh in the third set especially when they lost 25 21 and we're just attacking at a 257 clip oh wait nope reading the wrong numbers sorry when they lost the second set and we're attacking at a 211 clip so not too great but uh they pulled out the win in that one and in Tulane which Ethan was at and uh, any thoughts on that yeah, the Tulane game, they started a little slow again, which has been a recurring issue for this team both weekends, is starting sets slow and starting matches slow. They lost the first set, and then the crowd started to get into it, and more people started to filter in, and the place was as full as it had been all year, even as full as it was against Auburn in the exhibition, and they came back and won the next three sets each by a score of 25 to 23 and won some big points at the end, were able to get the ball side out when they needed to. And that's a skill that is really going to be beneficial for them when they get into the ACC play. But some improvement on the defensive side and on the blocking would be helpful. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the uh, home crowd advantage, especially uh, against Tulane. As you said, it started to fill up. And uh, O'Keefe's a scary place to play, especially when it's full of Tech fans. But against South Alabama, the crowd was pretty sparse, and a lot of them were parents of the South Alabama team. And uh, it kind of showed because you could hear them a lot louder than 
the paltry crew of what four, five, six students we had. But that's what happens when you play play a noon game on a Friday. Everybody's in class. There's no band. Then night and day when it comes around to 7 p.m. and you got Tulane. But they're eight no, and I'm sure all you guys would agree that eight wins are better than eight losses. I don't know. Insert a cliche there, but they're eight no, and that's not nothing. Yeah, they'll get a test next weekend in Tuscaloosa when they take on Alabama, among a couple other teams. Northern Illinois Huskies. Yeah, as a Northern yeah. Illinois boy whose high school mascot was the Huskies. I'm not that conflicted, but, you know, if there was ever a team to be conflicted for, that might be it. There you go. Thanks, guys. So that's 8-0 and for volleyball. And now we can transition to our 1-0 team, which is, of course, the football team coming off that aforementioned win over Alcorn State. Real quick, before we get into some positional breakdowns and, and uh, ratings from the game, a little bit of box score insight. Georgia Tech's Taquan Marshall, 9 of 18 passing. He threw for 104 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. That was a 56.9 total QBR. Leading rusher for the Jackets was Jordan Mason, who, of course, started the game after Cravante Benson's one-quarter suspension for what we can only assume was a very egregious crime. He ran 11 times for 85 yards and one touchdown. His long coming was 28 yards. Taquan picked up the slack from there, nine carries for 77 and a touchdown, followed by Cravante Benson, who played about two quarters, 10 carries, 75 yards, and two touchdowns. The Georgia Tech receiving leader, Brad Stewart, four catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. They did not allow too much offense at all from Alcorn State, as the Alcorn quarterback completed 10 of his 15 passes, but just for 51 yards on the game. So guys, let's start real quick with the offense. They put up 41 points. There were some times when you wish they would be a little bit cleaner, but overall, pretty decent performance in the first game of the season. What does everyone think about how that went? The offensive side of the ball was definitely pretty sloppy. You remember one of the touchdowns was a defensive score and, and not an offensive score. Overall, blocking was pretty hit and miss, especially at the second level. It was mostly miss at the second level. And uh, I, I thought that there were some assignment issues that need to get ironed out. I think we ran the ball well. I think the running backs and whoever had the ball in their hands played pretty well. Uh, especially Cravante Benson, he really played well with some particularly not too great blocking. We put him in a lot of dive situations where the linebacker came in pretty free. And Paul Johnson mentioned this in the uh, postgame, actually, that we uh, kept releasing the linebacker on him, and he kept just mo- moving on through. And even on his uh, really impressive touchdown where he got met at the line of scrimmage and then dragged the pile all the way into the end zone, had the blocking been right, Obviously, that wouldn't have even been necessary. He would have slipped right in without much effort at all. On ball, on the ball carrier side, pretty good. On the blocking side, not so good. And that's probably the, the shortest synopsis I can probably give on that. But it's definitely, uh, you know, there, there, we score that many points. There's, there's some good things going on. But also, we have a lot to work on if we're going to beat better teams. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think a little bit of it, too, was a couple of misreads by Jaquan resulted in tackles for loss and, you know, gains that weren't, weren't as weren't as long as they should have been, not necessarily in the pitch read, but on the dive read. I saw a couple of times he should have given to Kiervante or to Jordan. He didn't do so, and it ended up costing him. Yeah, the, uh, the, the fumble was on that mesh read. It looked like the defender kind of tricked him. He came in and he was showing his shoulders like it was going to be a pull read for Taquan on the mesh. But then at the last second, he pulled up 
And I think it caused some indecisiveness that neither player was sure who was getting the ball. And that's what led to the fumble. It's good to get those out of the way early because, I mean, that player certainly won't be the first person to try that. We've seen in the past couple of years, a lot of guys charge the mesh and then pull up to try to force Taquan to pull it and then tackle him. And every team on the schedule is going to try it. He's got to keep ironing that out because if he doesn't, there'll be more of that. Uh, yeah, a note on that. Uh, I saw it on, on the board this morning, and it's an old cliche, but the biggest improvements between the first game and the second game, like you said, it's good that that's coming out now. Um, but that fumble came at a really critical time, kind of early in the game. And we had, uh, they were only projecting about 36,000 people to be there, but we wound up getting to about 40,000 in the stands. But the fumble really took really took the crowd out of it. And I think when you're only up 7 nothing on a team that everybody thinks you should beat, you want to kind of close the door sooner rather than later. And that's why the offense maybe making a mistake or two like that kind of needs to get that figured out because you want everything to be playing to your strengths, not taken away from that. Yeah, that's exactly right. That first drive on offense was very well executed, and the de- defense got the quick three and out, and then the offense scored, and the defense got another three and out, and then, you know, you give that fumble away, and it's just you just lose all the momentum you gained. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a good thing when you can iron stuff out against a team where you've got a little bit of leeway, especially once your schedule starts to heat up really next week with South Florida. But you've got to feel really good from with what you saw from especially your position players on offense. Be back is looking like a really, really strong position with probably as much depth as we've seen. If you want proof of that, look no further than the fact that you've got a guy like Jerry Howard taking just three carries in a game that's forty one to nothing in the fourth quarter. So they were really kind of making things happen by themselves. As Kiefer mentioned earlier, not a whole lot of super good blocking going on, but you could see these guys kind of producing and if not making guys miss, just breaking some tackles from guys you should be breaking tackles from at the FCS level. Yeah, the depth the depth is great too, especially considering this was supposed to be year three of the reign of Dietrich and Marshall. Like that's, I think Carvante looked great once he got into the game. Jerry Howard, his three carries were fine too. And Jordan Poncho's Mason, of course he, he led the list. So definitely we look good at the B-back spot. Right. The most egregious thing from them that happened was that, uh, that negative play where Taquan was hit in the backfield because Jerry didn't hit the, uh, the defensive tackle on the cut block to cut him off from the backside. Everything else from them I saw was pretty good, at least in the first initial watch through I've seen. I can't really pick anything out that was particularly bad. Yeah, absolutely. And so as good as they were, just looking at the box score especially, you can see that there wasn't as much productivity in the passing game as you would like, especially given how many early opportunities Paul Johnson gave to Quan Marshall to to hook up with his various wide receivers. So just for nine completions on 18 attempts is not really what you want to see against Alcorn State. Does anybody have any input on his passing performance in this game? I went back and I watched. I tried to pay special attention to each of those, especially the incompletions. I mean, one of them was a really bad drop by Quay Cersei. And then uh, some of them looked like they were miscommunications between Taquan and whoever the receiver was. One of them, it looked like Clinton Lynch was patting himself, my bad. But then there were the ones, especially, I think the most egregious one was to Jalen Camp, mm-hmm. where uh, it was just completely overthrown. And he was wide open. Nobody was there, completely overthrown. There were a couple of those. But in the second half, he started to settle in. He started to drive the ball. Um, I think he was lofting it too much off of his back foot early. And when he made a point to plant and uh, and drive it down, he actually did it a little bit too much. He was getting better elevation on the ball. And he did mention in the postgame press conference, I saw that he was hit in his plant leg early in the game. And I think that may have affected him a little bit. So you got one, one drop, one play that was a catch, 
one interception that we won't talk about. And uh, then you got a few that were actually really bad overthrows. I, I will withhold judgment for now. It doesn't look like he's improved that much as a passer. But if he can start doing better on those short comeback routes, that's really all you need. People talk about, oh, got to throw the jump ball, throw the jump ball. But those comeback routes to convert third downs were what made the 2014 offense so deadly more than anything else. DeAndre Smelter was absolutely uncoverable on those. And JT would just zip him in every single time. And we've missed that since then. And we we tried to force it a little bit. We were calling those plays over and over a bit. And I, I want to see more of it because if we can get that going, I think that is the recipe to really improving some of the elements that we saw in the offense last year. Granted, Taquan does not have the arm strength that JT had. He does not put the velocity on the ball that he had. That he had. So line drive, comeback, curl routes to the outside, are a little more dangerous when you're putting lower velocity on the ball because they can get picked. And when those get picked, they go all the way back. But it's still something that we should probably develop. You just got to make sure you're careful with it. Well, if we look at the stat line, just straight up, that 9 out of 18, it should have been 10 out of 18 with Jalen Camp's acrobatic catch down on the sideline. I think they they went to re- review to look at that one. But Jalen Camp got his hand on the ball. I thought he was in bounds. I thought replay showed he was in bounds. And if they could... I don't know. Jalen Camp's got a lot of athleticism. I think Taquan's got a decent stable of guys to throw to. Like you said, if they fix the third and short, that makes them a threat anywhere on the field. Deep, short, run game, pitch. That seems to be the missing piece of the offense from what I can see. And then keeping their their hands on the ball. Speaking of jump balls, that was a heck of a heck of an effort by Jalen Camp, even though it was ruled incomplete on replay. But if you can continue getting production out of him, and if he hauls in some of those types of catches, it's going to be a really, really cool season. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jalen Camp has the potential to turn into a real go-to guy for Taquan this year. But going off of Kiefer's point, the most disturbing thing for me was Taquan's mechanics and lack thereof. I hope it was due to his plant foot getting hit and him getting a little, you know, but if he doesn't improve his mechanics this year, like he said he was this spring, we're going to see a lot of the same issues we saw last year in the passing game. Right, and we want to make sure that he doesn't keep getting hit, too, because obviously we don't yeah, want that's... to lose him a plant leg that'll mess up the mechanics. And, and two, I think last year with uh, the poor pass protection, I th- it led to some rash decisions. And even that Jalen Camp throw, I'm not even sure why he threw that ball. It, it wasn't open. Yeah, uh, I would have tucked that and run. But Yeah, the pass protection was not awesome. One of the uh, replays that I saw of one of his incompletions, I th- I'm not – 100% sure who was in at left tackle at that point, but I'm thinking it was early enough in the game. It was probably still Quinny. The Alcorn oh, Will Bryan started at left tackle. Oh, left tackle is Will Bryan. Okay. Alcorn State defender put him to sleep and got way, way past him real fast. So it looked like that might have been an issue on one of them. but There were a few of those. And to an extent, I bring that back to coaching. I'm not going to criticize the student athletes too much on the pass protection, especially when I see it from all of them. But I, I see us reaching a lot in pass protection instead of sitting back and setting your feet and punching, which is what proper technique is. We keep leaning forward and putting our hands out and they just get swatted away and then you get swim moved and the guys around you. I don't understand why it's been a consistent issue. I think that comes back to coaching and I, I think pass protection needs to be better coached on this team. Otherwise, we're never really going to have a quarterback that feels comfortable. Yeah, I think it was encouraging to see Taquan on the touchdown pass scramble, but scramble with his eyes downfield because too often last year we saw him scramble and a receiver would come open and he would just would not have his eyes downfield and he would end up scrambling for maybe a two or three yard gain. 
But yesterday he kept his eyes downfield and saw Brad Stewart wide open in the end zone. So I think that could be a key this year too. All right. Any last thoughts on the offense, guys, before we move on to defense? Yeah, I think the offensive line really struggled to get to the second level. And it wasn't really so much that they were getting jammed. A lot of times last year, the offensive linemen who were supposed to go to the second level would get jammed and then they wouldn't be able to get to the second level. But uh, some of it was just planning responsibilities out and working as a cohesive unit, which can be fixed. So I'm hoping that improves from week one to week two. And then some of it was uh, just missing guys at the second level. Alcorn had some decently quick guys at that level, and I thought they were pretty fast for an FCS defense overall. But there's going to be bigger, faster guys coming. And if we don't fix blocking at the second level, it's going to be ugly. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of bigger, faster guys coming, our next home game uh, is going to be against Clemson. So we're going to get to see that really tested out here shortly. All right. So with that all said, let's move on to the defense. It was the debut for Nate Woody and his new 3-4 scheme. And obviously a good first impression. He can't ask for more points-wise than a shutout. And his defense overall, forcing nine punts by Alcorn State, limiting them to just 146 yards of total offense at 2 of 11 on third down. So really from that point of view, and especially considering how deep he went with his rotations in this first game, a very strong performance against a team that uh, in Alcorn State that's historically relied on its offense to make its make itself heard around its SWAC division. So what did y'all see from Nate Woody's very first game as defensive coordinator at Tech? I'll get the negatives out of the way first. One was tackling, uh, and I think that's pretty simple. Everyone saw it. Uh, the second negative uh, was the pass rush. Yeah, they were getting the ball out quick. And yes, we rarely brought blitzes. And yes, the Jack linebacker was often not tasked, was tasked more with a containment uh, responsibility due to the fact that uh, Alcorn's quarterbacks were mobile. But uh, there just really wasn't a whole lot of pressure getting on the quarterback. We had one sack. It was the one time we blitzed the stinger. But that's something that needs to improve because you can put all this talent. Everyone's talking about all the talent in the back end, all the speed, the way the defense plays. But if you don't rush the passer, I mean, I remember the 2014 ACC title game where we, where Jameis Winston just sat back there and picked us apart for 60 minutes without having anybody breathe on him. So that that's the key to me. And, and I know we don't we haven't really recruited to the Jack linebacker position under roof. So there's a, there's a dearth of depth depth there that will get sorted out over time, but we really need someone to step up along the way and, and get a pass rush going positives. We played with so much speed and so much intensity. It was exciting to see. And, and it was refreshing to see turnovers and tackles for loss and, and guys who just have great range and length getting after it. I really like the, the new talent on the back end of the defense. It's so refreshing to, to see those guys finally get their shot. That's the big takeaway for me on the back end. The front seven was a little more of a mixed bag. I thought they did some things well. Kyle Serge Henderson really impressed me uh, with his range and his intensity, which he played. He didn't get too many uh, reps. They they chose to kind of get Brandon Adams and uh, and Chris Martin in there a little bit more. And I think that was to either get him conditioned or or just get them reps. But when he was in, I I remember one play specifically where he chased the Alcorn quarterback to the sideline. And Mm -hmm. last time I opened up the response book of defensive responsibilities, that was not under nose tackle. (laughs) So, yeah, I was impressed by his 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 intensity. Um, Everyone, you know, Caleb Oliver obviously had a good game. He did miss a few tackles in the open field and had the had the pass interference. 
that was avoidable if he didn't lose track of his man. But he also you know, had the pick. He ran it back well, and he did have a few open field tackles that were very impressive. And the last guy that stood out to me was actually Quez Jackson, who came in uh, mm-hmm. to back up the middle linebackers later in the game. And, and he made a lot of impressive plays. He moves well. He's got great range, and he, he finished well. I think the only thing I saw him – actually, I wasn't even sure that was him on film, so I won't, I won't call him out on that. But, it, you know, for a, for a true freshman, I thought he was very impressive. I think he's going to be a really good player. Inside linebacker depth is is looking good, even after Brent Mitchell leaves after this season. Yep, absolutely. And one guy that stood out to me really early on in the game was one of our newer defensive backs, Jalen Askew. He made a couple of really impressive open field tackles really, really early on in the game that we haven't seen, uh, the type of play we haven't seen be made by Georgia Tech's defensive backs in recent years. If you can remember by our nice experience in the Miami game of screen passing all the way down the field. So that was really refreshing. Just seeing this whole new infusion of talent, especially coming from the secondary, where it really was a strength of Ted Roof's recruiting classes for the past few years. And now you're seeing those guys get to play in a new system where hopefully their talents will be used even more. And one other guy who really stood out to me on defense was someone I know you're really fond of, Kiefer, which is Antoine Owens. Yes. Yes, absolutely. He looked really, really good on quite a few plays. One in particular, he just beat the tackle really, really badly and got to the quarterback. Did you see anything encouraging from him? Yeah, absolutely. He played with a lot of speed, and and he was able to get in the backfield and be disruptive in his somewhat limited opportunities. I thought he played well. I mean, there was a couple, I think, a couple plays maybe where he didn't quite get the guy, but, I mean, everyone missed tackles. And he was, I think, committing to the mission of this defense and the mission of the front seven, which is to disrupt. And I think he did that better than really the starters did out there at defensive end. So really excited about him, and I'm really excited for him to get some more looks. Defensive end depth right now looks pretty good. I'm not too concerned about that at all. Yeah, I think taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, I know Kiefer mentioned earlier the lack of you know, past pressure they got on the quarterbacks for Alcorn State. And I think a little bit of that can be attributed when you have a new defensive scheme that you don't want to give the other teams in the ACC film this early in the year on your new defense and all the different blitzes you're going to bring when you blitz the stinger, you blitz one of the inside linebackers, really bring anybody besides the jack linebacker, would be giving Clemson, uh, Duke, Carolina, everybody else on the schedule film that they don't need and that they can, you know, pull some surprises here when we get into these next few games and start ACC play. Right. Uh, I think we were very vanilla. When people have yeah. talked about Ted Roof being the definition of vanilla, and, and this was vanilla. This was a vanilla yeah. version of Nate Woody. I think the Stinger Blitz, and then there was a Blitz where we blitzed both of the inside linebackers at one point. But other than that, we brought four almost every single pass. Uh, and yeah. it, it was it was understand your assignments and execute in the first game against lesser competition. And and they did that fairly well um, Mm -hmm. outside of the tackling part of it. So uh, we'll probably see some more exotic stuff later on, though I will say that when I went back and watched the Appalachian State defenses of Nate Woody, they they never really got too crazy either. Uh, I think it's been a kind of a misconception that people have that Nate Woody coming in is going to be just exotic everything, blitzes from everywhere. And and he does – switch up who he brings a decent bit but very often he brings four he's not in that's another misconception people thought ted roof never blitzed ted roof blitzed a lot his blitzes just didn't work so yeah i'm i'm pleased with it uh, and if you can get pressure with four that's absolutely the way to do it 
I don't think we're going to be able to get pressure with four, especially with the situation of no. Jack linebacker, not necessarily having a prototypical guy out there who was born to play the position. So no. we'll see. I, I think uh, the stinger blitz worked pretty well because they didn't expect yeah. that guy to come. And we've got a lot of speed out there. Uh, Christian Campbell is another guy that impressed me too. I, I liked him out at stinger. And I think Campbell looked great. Yeah, he did. Um, I thought he played the best at stinger. And, and the note on that, uh, on, on his big play on the sacks, on the, uh, on the scooping score back into the end zone, Tech looked fantastic. Sure, that's a new step, but also the crowd was really into it. I mean, I know I'm, I'm like the spirit rah rah hype guy, whatever. But like, I don't know. I, our 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 fans are kind of usually out of it if we're on offense or defense. Yeah, the students yell, but like, it felt good that there was some energy in that stadium against Alcorn State. If we can do that in front of forty thousand. And the lesser competition energy they, the players feed off of us more than more than a lot of people give that credit for and i think that this defense when they start incorporating some of those more less vanilla more blitz packages stuff like that like it you're gonna feel the difference too and you're gonna see the results reflected on the field yeah for sure i mean everybody was really excited about that sack felt like the first one in probably five years really and it came at a really good time y'all mentioned um how good Christian Campbell looked a little bit too. And he's, I was curious about how he would look at Stinger because really I think most people expected him to start off at free safety where he had played for most of the spring and I think all of last season as well after he was briefly thought to be the quarterback of the future when he first got here. So if he can be a really strong presence at that position, that'll be absolutely for the better. Yeah, I think moving him down from safety to Stinger kind of, you know, showed the emphasis that Woody has on speed over size. And I think that was very evident yesterday with the open field tackles early in the game on the screens. You know, we missed a few tackles in the open field, but we closed space down real well. Yeah. And took, yeah, took space away from the Alcorn State speed guys. We were, we were hunting them down. That Like, yeah, a couple times we bounced right off of them, but we were getting there a lot faster than it seemed we were in the past just from the eye test. Yeah. And just as an aside, what a great year for the NCAA to change those redshirt rules. <laughs> really, that this is what a, was a great year because changing schemes completely, we finally get a chance to see all these different guys who we would have had to, you know, have Nate Woody make a complete guess on or else risk losing an entire year of eligibility for him. So now they've got four games to play with. We saw him go way, way deep in his rotation of um, all those young guys, and we really got to see what a few of them were capable of. All right. Does anyone else have anything to add on defense before we move on to one of the hittier or missier units? Uh, I would I would like to do a quick shout-out to Quan Griffin. Uh, he only got like five snaps, but he really impressed me. I thought he was going to play defensive end when he came in. They put him at nose, and uh, he, he was good. He was yeah. pretty good. I don't know that he's going to play a bunch this year because we kind of have a bit of a log jam at the defensive line just because we went from four to three. But I'm looking forward to good things from him. Yep. Two tackles for him in his very, very brief stint, as you mentioned. All right. And so with that, we go on to our third and final positional recap, and it's special teams. Two. So we really saw, like I said a second ago, very, very hit or miss performance from these guys. Some improvement, especially in the kick and punt return game. Which was oh, I was just about to mention that. Mm-hmm. Something that we really needed to see after it was not great last year. But unfortunately, the place kicking game 
didn't look quite as strong as you'd like to see after some some struggles there last year as well. So guys, what did you notice about our special teams play? Before uh, we jump into the negatives on the place kicking, I want to give a shout out to Wanye Thomas on those punt returns because that is, it seemed like two years in a row, it was just like, all right, it's going to be a fair catch as soon as the ball got off the foot. And I know we only had one kickoff return, which I believe went for maybe 10 yards, but he got 31 yards off one of those punts he was able to reel in, and that's that's a nice start. Yeah, I think when people watch Wanye Thomas from here on out, uh, one of the things I point want to point out is is watching him run, you can really see the importance of being flexible as a football mm-hmm. player. He was pulling he, – he never lost his balance. He was pulling out of foot tackles. He was absorbing hits like a sponge. It, it, was, it was very impressive, and I think in that way he's – I hate comparisons, but I'll do it anyway. Um, he, remin- he was a little reminiscent of Jamal Golden in the flexibility department. Yep. Both of those guys uh, – Wanya Thomas is not the fastest kick returner I've ever seen in my life, and, but that's – fine because what he is is flexible just like Jamal Golden was not the fastest kick returner I've ever seen in my life but he could absorb all these high speed hits from guys coming down trying to tackle him and slip out of arm tackles because he was just so dang flexible and I think he's going to be pretty successful back there especially on the punt returns yep because the punt returns are more about avoiding and slipping through kick returns more about finding a crease and hitting it but I think on punt returns he's, he's going to be probably one of the best we've had in a while yeah, can we give a little shout out to the blocking on that punt return too? I know Wanye Thomas did a great job with the return. I don't have the names off the top of my head of who the gunners were back there who hit the blocks for Wanye, but I thought the blocking on that one punt return especially was wonderful. And on several of the others too, guys made better blocks than we saw most of the year last year when Brad Stewart was back there. Don't get me wrong, but I believe he was coming off an ankle uh, ankle trouble too, right? before this game but shout out for to yep. the big boss ben tankersley he was on the hype train first but sounds like he uh on the right track with that one yep absolutely he always does have his favorite guys and they really do pan out more often than not so hopefully we can get ben on here pretty soon in the future although i think he was recording his own podcast today so we've we know where your priorities are ben so don't worry <laughs> about us we've got it got it covered over here so we talked about the return game a little bit how about that kicking performance it was something. It was something. Yeah, I, there's not much to talk about in terms of, you know, you miss a PAT. And then, I mean, King at least hit all his PATs. I, I never really expected him to hit the 51-yarder, at least to had leg. Yeah, I had the distance um, on that. So, and Paul Johnson said after that he's going to be the kicker going forward. His kickoffs were a little shaky. So, we'll, I'd like to see maybe someone step up there. The walk-on, I forget what his name was Wesley Wells, I believe. Wesley Wells. He definitely had a lot of leg on his kickoffs. Um, they started arcing towards the out-of-bounds, and I feel like if he did it consistently like that, he would eventually kick one out-of-bounds, which is pretty devastating. So maybe if he can figure it out, he can do kickoffs, and then we can just have King do field goals, uh, and that'll be bearable. But it's definitely not, not an ideal situation that there's not much to talk about. It's just not good. Uh, For a team that's going to be in close games this year with several, you know, looking at seasons they've had in the past, we can expect Georgia Tech to play close games when they get into the ACC part of their schedule and to not have an experienced kicker who you know can step up there and hit a game-winning, game-tying field goal, important extra point, and this and that is is not good. But at the same time, King looked impressive-ish, I guess. He made all of his extra points and had the leg on the 50-yarder. So, you know, He's not going to be terrible. He's not going to be 
top half kicker in the ACC, but he also hopefully won't be the worst either. They're really making a push for that, uh, what's his face? Uh, the recruit that they're sending all the mail to. Can't remember his name off the top of my head, but that's not really going to solve our problems this year, is it? Nope. What will solve our problems, though, is we were good at punting. True. <laughs> Presley Harvin. Yes, we were. The big boy, too. Absolutely. Only one punt in the game, which you love to see, but it was a good one, and his generally are. So we're very lucky to have him, former number one punting recruit in the nation. If you're going to get rid of the ball, you might as well be the best at getting it as far away as you can. Yep. We got him for three more years, too. I'm excited. Funny how uh, specialized, like you're talking about uh, Wesley Wells doing the kickoffs and King doing the doing the returns. I'm skipping ahead here a little bit. There's a question about history, but I'm looking on some of my sources. And, you know, people used to play special teams, offense, defense. You could play a whole whole game with 11 people, and now we've got two different kids kicking you know it's just a sign of the times while we're on that topic of kicking quick moment of silence for former georgia tech commit uh joseph bullivis who <laughs> collegiate football at alabama where he blue shirted for nick saban and the always morally straight alabama crimson tide uh he though is not starting this season he is the backup to temple grad transfer austin jones so we hope he gets it going over there Wish you would have gotten it going here, but man, when Nick Saban and that personality come knocking, you just can't. and his boat on his lake can't ignore that. There are there aren't many jobs better than backup kicker for Alabama, though. I mean, you're, you're guaranteed a playoff appearance, and you don't have to do anything to get there. <laughs> you're absolutely right about that. All the yep. perks, none of the pain. Absolutely. Yup. All right. Any any final thoughts on? our special team's performance in that game or going forward? I thought one year was actually pretty close on one of those kickoff returns to breaking it. Um, and he cut right instead of cutting left. Um, yep. But it's it's hard. It's hard to, to figure out where you want to go on those. And you have about three-tenths of a second to figure it out. So I don't blame him for that at all. But I think he will eventually break one. Yep. Yeah, especially for a freshman. He's got plenty of time to get experience. Work hard, eat right. That boy could go. A long way. All go, go the distance. Hell, you know, might as well get those six. Yep. And you got to expect in the future for him to probably get a few more opportunities when he's when we're when we're facing you know the ACC opponents of the world where the uh, opposing punts are a little bit easier to feel than they were uh, this time out against Alcorn State. Yeah, there was yeah, some real poor Alcorn. Yeah, and just poor punts in general. But I mean, they're an FCS team. That will happen. All right, so moving on from our Alcorn State recap. Yesterday, we asked for a few questions on Twitter and Facebook to see if anybody had any type of discussion they would like for us to have here on the podcast today. And so the first one we'll take is from Brian on Twitter. Uh, and he says, on a scale of 1 to 2014, how much should this offense concern me? And so I guess... Do you mean 2015? You know, I'm wondering, because that's that sounds more reasonable, but he says 1 to 2014, so maybe that means 1 is bad and 2014 is really good. I oh, I guess know. that's fair. It's an interesting scale. I, I would definitely reserve judgment here for the most part. Um, there were some things that were definitely not good. A lot of the things that were very not good are things that are fixable in a short time frame. So I don't know. This is not going to be the 2014 offense. It's just not. Um, I think some people were hyping it up to be because of all the experience of the returning starters, but there's no Shaq Mason here and there's no Justin Thomas here and there's no DeAndre Smelter. None of these guys are that. So you're looking at a team that right now, if they play like they did against Alcorn State, 
it's going to be closer to the 2015 season. But if they can improve on some of the things that they were, some of their shortcomings from the first game, it can definitely be a 2016 style offense that was pretty darn good. Though I don't expect it to be quite like 2016. Um, I'm talking overall value, I guess. Because uh, 2016 was a very explosive offense that was pretty inefficient. I would expect this team, if they if they improve, are going to look more efficient and less explosive, just based on the personnel and, and what I'm seeing. So concern level, not 2015 at all. Not at this point. Ask me next week, maybe that answer will change. But I also don't think the upside of this offense is going to be at the top tier of Paul Johnson, Georgia Tech offenses. I think it's probably going to be somewhere more in the middle range. I, uh, while Kiefer was talking, I switched hats from football fan guy to history guy. And I think I've figured out the perfect scale for his question. If we're talking about scales for the offense. We should talk 222 to nothing, but that's just me. I think, I think Kiefer nailed all the actual legitimate points and I'm just being dumb, but go 222 to nothing. 222 to nothing. One of the many records that we hold that will never be broken. I'll let you decide what the rest of those are. <laughs> but as far as this question, the two seasons we've talked about or the Kiefer talked about in his response were 2015 and 2014. And those are two great little cases in point for why FCS games don't indicate anything about what your season's going to be. Because you've got 2015 where you went three and nine and blew out Alcorn State by a much bigger margin than you did even this season. And then you've got 2014, which was a very, very close and contentious win over Georgia Southern, which I believe that was one of their final seasons of FCS football. So, and that, of course, ended in the Orange Bowl. That was actually Wofford. We were we, we started out with Wofford, and that was one of Georgia Southern's first seasons in FBS. Yeah. Oh, we started with Wofford that season. We played Georgia Southern that season, right, too. We yeah, did, we too, and that Southern was even closer. Yeah, yeah, that was even closer. Yeah, I still remember that. I think that was the Dion Hill touchdown in that game. It indeed was. Yep, yeah. absolutely. So great moment, but it's easy to forget it came against Georgia Southern in a season that ended up being incredibly successful for us. Another thing to keep in mind is that while we did get some light shown on kind of the rotations and the guys we'll see play, although very, very little light, especially on defense because there were so many guys coming in and out, still not too much of an indicator of how good the team will be going forward. Yeah, I think one last thought on this question I have is that we know what this offense is capable of last year. And I'd say, you know, last year they were fairly efficient. They weren't as explosive as 2016 was, but they were fairly efficient. So I would say, you know, after one game with the same group, I wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah. yeah. Like in that Virginia game, they put up the numbers. First half of the Duke game, they put up the numbers. Let's see if we can really find and make that click again. And the next question we'll take here, Jake, I don't think you're going to get to stop talking for a minute. <laughs> answering that question to answering this question, as this one is right up your alley. Nice. So this is from Mike on Twitter, and he says, what came first, football or baseball on the flats? Well, I do have an answer for that uh, because, as most uh, Tech fans know, Georgia Tech football started in uh, the early 1890s. We had uh, existed as a school for about four or five years, and uh, we kind of more or less begged uh, Isaac Hopkins, who was the president at the time, to uh, give them something fun to do ever. Georgia Tech wasn't very fun at the beginning, just letting you guys know. No student center. They didn't even have dorms when the place opened hell. But uh, first sport was uh, definitely football. And according to my source, a.k.a. Dresser in White and Gold and Wikipedia, baseball's first recorded season uh, was in 1900. We went three and four, uh, which is better than our paltry 
first couple years of football, except for beating UGA, which was great. But the coach that year, there's literally nothing else written about that team besides the coach's name. And uh, he is known only to history as Todd. Todd, however, improved greatly in his second year coaching Georgia Tech in 1901 when he went 9-5. and five. And at the time, baseball was far and away the more popular sport on the flats and uh, drew tremendously. They didn't play on campus yet because we didn't have the flats as we know it. But uh, Georgia Tech's first team was football. And then they were joined by baseball in about 1900. And then cross country was somewhere, somewhere in there too. But uh, yeah, interesting times to be on the flats. Turn of the century tech. And let's just take a second to really appreciate the fact for everyone listening at home that that was not Jake with a pre- prepared answer. That was us about 20 minutes ago, me saying, hey, look, we got this uh, history question and you knowing the answer and knowing all of that stuff. So that's very impressive. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll have to make uh, harder quizzes for you to try to get you on something. I would love to talk about history all day long, uh, all night long, whatever. But I do want to point out, in 1902, we do know the coach's full name. He wasn't as good as Todd, though. But in 1903, we had a guy who was only known as Irving. So I guess they just weren't very good at keeping records back in that day. But of course, uh, you've definitely heard of our coach starting in 1904 because he was kind of the czar of tech sports in general. But the most important team at the time, again, was baseball. So they hired a baseball coach who also happened to coach football named John Heisman, who led Tech to a 15-7 and seven year in 1904. And then from there, we were kind of off and running. And you mentioned one nameless Todd, but we've got our next question, which is about a person named Todd that we do know the last name of. It's Todd Stansberry. Oh, nice. This, yep, absolutely. And this is from Ian on Facebook. It's a later submission question. I was not expecting the content of it, but he says, how does the AD, that being Todd Stansberry, plan to address the appalling lack of water filling stations throughout the stadium? I believe there are 12 this year, and they were very, very proud of that constantly on media. Um, There's a What's New at Bobby Dodd article out on ramblinrec.com, of which yours truly is a face turned around in the background. Shout out me. But uh, no, there's 12 12 water filling stations. I couldn't tell you where any of them are because I spent the entire game in section 118. But they're somewhere, I hope. (laughs) Hopefully so. Um, it's not a well-known fact, but I actually do have a crystal ball that I can use to read people's minds. Nice. I tried to do it on, on this to see what Todd Stansberry is thinking about this. I, it turns out it doesn't work for him. It only works for Paul Johnson, which is where I learned a lot of profanity is from reading Paul Johnson's mind a few different times. <laughs> I hear Paul Johnson is a uh, expert both in profanity, romance, football, and just generally driving a very nice car. That's a great thing to be good at. It's something I wish I was better at, actually. <laughs> cool. All right. And so that's our third question we're going to take today. And so before we move on and say goodbye for the week, real quick, next up on the docket for Georgia Tech football, we've got South Florida down in Tampa. So that's going to be a really fun game against what has been a really prolific team, especially during the later days of the Willie Taggart era. Now they're, of course, in, I think their second season of Charlie Strong. Yep. After he was by Texas and still a very strong program, though, without the help from generational quarterback, Quentin Flowers. You have um, Derek Barnett, though, who a former highly rated Alabama quarterback who uh, also played at Arizona State. So that'll be a great game. Uh, it's really our first test of the season, although you think they are generally maybe not as good as ACC opponents, definitely better than Alcorn State and possibly better than some of the bottom tier ACC teams. 
Yep. And they definitely had enough size and talent on both lines last year to be to play in the ACC. You know, they went 10 and 2 with a bowl win over Texas Tech. And Blake Barnett, the quarterback, clearly has the arm talent to play in the ACC if he was a five star recruit and recruited by Alabama. So the defense better come ready to play because, especially the young guys in the secondary, are going to get tested by Barnett in the pass game. Yeah, um, if you look at the UCF uh, USF game last year, the War on I four, that was probably, in my opinion, the the best college football game to watch last year. USF has been in big situations against good teams. They return some of that talent. It's not it's not some cakewalk. It's not like we're playing Mercer or another FCS type school or Bowling Green yet. You know. Yeah, but a lot of that team from last year at least in the trenches, is gone. They had 10 guys make first team, second team, or honorable mention, All-American, American Athletic Conference, pardon me, and only one of them returns on the offensive line. So they've got a lot of new guys they're breaking in. And, you know, they've got the FCS game against Elon, but for a lot of them, Georgia Tech will be the first, you know, top-tier team they will have seen. Yeah, this game honestly terrifies me. Between the things we have to iron out on the offensive side of the ball in particular, and, you know, breaking in a new defense against better talent and, and someone who does definitely have arm talent. I haven't watched any of uh, USF's game against Elon, and I don't think watching last year's film is going to be have much bearing on what this team is because of all the turnover they've had. But going down there on the road with a young defense and an offense that still has tuning up to do, that's scary. And, and I'm hoping that we get a lot of our things ironed out and we can move forward, uh, especially on the offensive line and just in blocking in general. Uh, we can make sure we have the right assignments. It sounds cliche. We got to make the right assignments, execute, coach, classic coach speak. But those are the things we just didn't do. And those are the things we're going to get punished for starting this week. It's not like we had to wait till ACC play. And I would, it, it wouldn't surprise me if USF ends up being better than Pitt to be quite honest, and if we're looking at the next two yep. games. So this is a, this is definitely a terrifying game, and, and it's a game that we can definitely definitely lose if we don't. If we play like we did against Alcorn, we're going we're gonna to lose this game, and it's not going to be particularly pretty. So yeah, a lot to work on. It's really paramount because I, I think in order for this team to have a successful season, we have to go 3-0. It's yep. not optional. If we, if we don't go 3-0 and then we get beat by Clemson and then – it'll start to cascade down like it did last year and where we saw kind of at the end of the year, it just looked less spirited. So <laughs> these yeah. two, these two games, these two games may define where we go for the rest of the year. And I'm going to be extremely anxious. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. Head off our podcast recording, but we have officially hit the one hour mark and actually the fire alarm is going off here in luxurious North Avenue apartments, Oh dear! Um, which is always a good sign. So we do have to call it there for this week. Thanks everybody for joining. And we hope you all join us next week on the next episode of signs of the Southland, hopefully after a big win over South Florida. Thanks guys. And have a great week. But wait, it's me. I'm actually back again. I didn't burn to death. I was very late going out to the fire drill, but I had to remind you of one thing I completely forgot. Uh, first of all, an apology to quarterback Blake Barnett, whose name I completely got wrong by calling him Derek. That's an NFL player, not you. It is understandable why you wanted to burn down where I live. But just as a reminder to everybody, we're trying to make a soundboard for this podcast to become as official as possible. 
So if you know of any cool Georgia Tech sounds, preferably funny Georgia Tech sounds, that you would like to hear played on this podcast, probably to cut people off, let us know. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.